You may know Arnold Schwarzenegger for his muscles and role as the Terminator with his famous line, I'll be back. However, he is also known for having a congenital aortic valve defect, a bicuspid valve. This condition can not only lead to aortic stenosis, but also aortic regurgitation. He underwent a Ross procedure back in the 1990s, followed by a second aortic valve replacement 30 years later. Aortic regurgitation is the backward flow of blood through the aortic valve and can be caused by many different disorders, including bicuspid aortic valve, as in Schwarzenegger's case. Today, our patient has aortic regurgitation, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Leak Out, an Approach to Aortic Regurgitation. Time for our minute physiology. The aortic valve sits between the left ventricle and the aorta. During systole, the pressure in the left ventricle increases to the point where the pressure in the ventricle exceeds the aortic pressure, allowing the valve to open. As the blood is ejected through the aortic valve, the pressure in the ventricle will slowly decrease in late systole, leading to aortic valve closure, which is signaled by the second heart sound. During diastole, in a normal heart, the aortic valve is closed, allowing for blood to move through the mitral valve and fill the left ventricle. Problems occur when the valve is abnormal or when the aorta is inappropriately large. In aortic regurgitation, the aortic valve leaflets have an inability to remain closed during the diastolic phase. This leads to volume overload in the left ventricle from leaking of blood from the aorta. The added volume causes an increase in left ventricular and diastolic volume and an increase in wall stress. The compensation for the leaking blood, known as the regurgitant volume, leads to dilation and eccentric hypertrophy of the left ventricle, allowing for an augmentation in stroke volume. This increase in volume allows for an increase in preload, which is the stretching of the cardiac myocytes prior to contraction. The large stroke volume also increases systolic blood pressure, and the regurgitation decreases diastolic pressure, seen as a widened pulse pressure. Initially, the heart can compensate with left ventricular dilation and hypertrophy. However, over time, the increased cardiac muscle can no longer carry the load, resulting in systolic dysfunction and therefore reduced left ventricular ejection fraction. Severe AR can also cause reduced coronary perfusion due to the increased O2 demands from eccentric hypertrophy as well as poor coronary flow from decreased diastolic pressure. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. In the approach to aortic regurgitation, it is important to understand its different etiologies and presentation. Aortic regurgitation is caused either by disease of the aortic valve leaflets, or an enlargement of the aortic root. It can either be acute or chronic in nature. The most common causes in developed countries are aortic root dilation, congenital bicuspid aortic valve, and calcific disease. However, rheumatic heart disease remains the most common cause in the developing world. Less common causes include lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, syphilis, Crohn's, and ankylosing spondylitis, to name a few. Acute etiologies include infective endocarditis, aortic dissection, and trauma. Patients with chronic aortic regurgitation remain asymptomatic for some time before it may become severe, and their heart is no longer able to compensate properly. The typical presentation includes decompensated heart failure and angina from myocardial ischemia. However, in acute aortic regurgitation, there's no time for the heart to compensate, 
and they will often present an acute pulmonary edema and cardiogenic shock. Your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? This is especially important in cases of acute aortic regurgitation where the patient can present in an unstable state. Once you've ensured the stability of your patient, you can move forward with your assessment. On history, you want to clarify the patient's symptoms. This can include dyspnea, orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, angina, and palpitations. Patients can also be aware of an exaggeration of pulsation or heart function. It is important to note that these are all late findings in chronic aortic regurgitation when the valvulopathy becomes severe. In your history, you can also explore underlying etiologies, including rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Crohn's disease, as mentioned earlier, and inquire about family history. The physical exam is a crucial element of the assessment for aortic regurgitation. Examining the peripheral pulses, precordial inspection, palpation, and auscultation are all helpful. It is also pertinent to examine for any signs of heart failure, whether it is crackles on pulmonary auscultation, peripheral edema, or an elevated jugular venous pressure. Left ventricular enlargement and laterally and inferiorly displaced hyperdynamic apical impulse can be palpated on precordial examination. Chronic AR is associated with an early, high-pitched, decrescendo diastolic murmur. The location of the murmur may suggest the etiology of the aortic regurgitation. If it is predominantly in the left sternal border, it is more valvular in origin, compared to the right sternal border, which tends to be from aortic enlargement. It is best heard sitting upright, leaning forward, and in full expiration. The murmur can be increased with certain maneuvers such as squatting and decreased with valsalva maneuvers. In addition, a mid-systolic ejection murmur can be heard, representing an abrupt aortic distension by the large stroke volume. Another type of murmur that can be appreciated is the Austin Flint murmur, or pseudomitral stenosis, which is a low-pitched, mid-to-late diastolic rumble at the apex caused by premature closure of the mitral valve due to the jet of AR. One important feature is a widened pulse pressure due to high systolic pressure and decreased diastolic pressure. This wide pulse pressure leads to many interesting findings on exam. The water hammer, or collapsing pulse, is characterized by a rapidly rising and falling arterial pulse with a wide pulse pressure, which is best observed at the radial or brachial artery. Other famous signs of aortic regurgitation include Dumasier sign, or head bobbing with each heartbeat, pistol shot pulse heard over the femoral arteries, pulsation of the capillary beds, quinky sign, and systolic pulsations of the uvula, Mueller sign. It should be noted that some of these physical exam findings can be seen in other conditions associated with hyperdynamic circulation, such as anemia, fever, pregnancy, thyrotoxicosis, and large AV fistula. On the other hand, the physical findings in acute AR may be less obvious, with a murmur that is either quiet and short or absent. Most of the findings of chronic AR are absent since there is no prolonged time for compensation. The physical exam findings are more in relation to the underlying etiology. Now let's move on to workup necessary for your diagnosis. You will want to order a chest x-ray, especially when a patient's main complaint is that of dyspnea and you are unsure of the underlying etiology. In patients with severe aortic regurgitation, there can be presence of cardiomegaly, dilatation of the ascending aorta, as well as signs of pulmonary edema, i.e. vascular redistribution, peribronchial cuffing, curly beelines, etc. An ECG should also be ordered. This will allow an assessment of cardiac conduction and ventricular hypertrophy, in addition to establishing a baseline for future comparison. You should also rule out any other conditions that could present similarly with a hyperdynamic circulation, as mentioned earlier, by ordering a CBC for leukocytosis and or anemia, 
as well as a thyroid function test for evidence of thyrotoxicosis. When you have clinical suspicion of aortic regurgitation, whether acute or chronic, you will need to order a transthoracic echocardiogram. This is the main diagnostic test to confirm the presence of aortic regurgitation and assess its severity. It allows for the accurate evaluation of the aortic valve anatomy, the aortic root, as well as the left ventricle with the overall cardiac function. A bedside exam may be useful in experienced hands, particularly to identify the acute causes. Characteristic findings include left ventricular dilatation in chronic AR, decreased ejection fraction as the regurgitation worsens in severity, abnormalities in the valve leaflets such as thickening, vegetations, calcification, bicuspid valve, and or prolapsed or flail leaflets, abnormalities of the aorta and its dimensions, a regurgitant jet seen with color and spectral Doppler, pericardial effusion, especially in cases of aortic dissection. The severity of the disease is determined based on the valve anatomy, the severity of the regurgitation, the left ventricular size, as well as the function. A useful measure can be calculated from echo, known as the regurgitant fraction, and exceeding 50% is indicative of severe disease. This will in turn help determine the need for any interventions. Severe aortic regurgitation on TTE can be identified with the following findings. Central jet width of at least 65% of LV outflow tract, hollow diastolic flow reversal in the abdominal aorta, a regurgitant fraction of at least 50%, a regurgitant volume of at least 60 mls per beat, an effective regurgitant orifice area of at least 0.3 cm squared. When the images by transthoracic view are suboptimal, cardiac MRI or transesophageal echocardiogram can be used as additional diagnostic tools. At times, CT scanning and invasive angiography may be additional modalities. Let's talk about treatment. Treatment varies for aortic regurgitation based on whether it is acute or chronic in origin. If the patient is found to have acute severe aortic regurgitation, emergency aortic valve replacement or repair is indicated. Medical management is limited, but it can be used to stabilize the patient temporarily. This includes afterload reduction with intravenous diuretics and vasodilators, as well as inotropic agents to improve cardiac output. Beta blockers should generally be avoided as they tend to decrease cardiac output and cause prolongation of the diastolic filling time, worsening the regurgitation. Intraaortic balloon pump and LVAD support are also contraindicated. If the acute AR is found in the context of infective endocarditis, Surgery may not always be necessary, as the patient may improve with antibiotics. Other considerations include presence of an abscess or valve destruction, both indications for surgical intervention. Patients with chronic aortic regurgitation are asymptomatic for a long period of time due to a prolonged compensated phase. If they have mild to moderate disease, they should be followed clinically and with an echocardiogram every one to two years. For severe disease with normal LV function, the patient should be seen every six months. Changes in symptoms, severity of aortic regurgitation, and LV systolic dysfunction should be monitored regularly. Pharmacologic therapy is very limited in chronic disease, just as in acute AR, and is only used for symptomatic patients. As per the American Heart Association 2020 guidelines, symptomatic patients with severe disease who are candidates for surgery should be given medical treatment for heart failure prior to their valve replacement. This should consist of diuretics and ACE inhibitor ARB or ARNI. Patients with severe disease yet are not surgical candidates should also be given medical treatment for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Hypertension should be treated with vasodilators such as ACE inhibitor, ARB, 
or dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker, and beta blockers should be avoided. Aortic valve surgery, mainly valve replacement, remains the mainstay of treatment of symptomatic severe aortic regurgitation. It can also be indicated in patients who are asymptomatic with severe aortic regurgitation and presence of LV systolic dysfunction or LV dilatation. Let's finish with our medicine minute. The role of transcatheter aortic valve replacement remains limited in aortic regurgitation for several reasons. These include aortic pathology that needs intervention, lack of valvular calcification for standard TAVR valves, and aortic root enlargement. Most recently, some patients have been treated with a newer kind of valve, the Jenna valve, that has a clipping mechanism anchoring the stent to the aortic root. The results from the latest model, the Trilogy, were newly reported in May of 2022 at the EuroPCR where the transfemoral approach was performed on 45 high-surgical-risk patients in Germany. Although not yet published, this trial showed achievement of the primary endpoint, reduction of more than one AR grade in 100% of patients. These exciting findings may just be the start of what's to come in the management of aortic regurgitation. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Leak Out, an Approach to Aortic Regurgitation. This episode was written by Dr. Kate Haitian, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Nadia Gianetti, cardiologist, and Dr. Amal Bessasau, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. The music production by Lakshmi Santhamoa. As always, don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.